With the NBA Finals around the corner, you can bet with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get a no-sweat bet up to $1,500 if your first bet doesn't hit. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. One no-sweat bet per new customer. Issued as one bonus. Bonus bet based on amount of initial losing bet. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility, wagering, and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Welcome to the MMA Fighting Ranking Show. I am Sean O'Shotty, and I'm joined by my good friend, the Prince of Positivity himself. Though I will say, it seems like he's losing that nickname these days, at least a little bit. Uh, he is the King of the North. He is Alexander K. Lee, and we appreciate y'all for joining us this month. AK, how are we doing today, my man? Mr. Shaheen, my good friend, I, I am confident that by the end of the show, you're right, you're right. I have been down on some of the cards that we had in February. This is true. I, I tried to be positive where I could. But frankly, some of these cards were a bit of a uh, a bit of a poop sandwich. Uh, it it take, taken in their totality. That, I'm sorry, that's more than fair. And, and I think for people who have limited time, I don't think that we, I think it's irresponsible if we tell them, oh yeah, you have to catch every every uh, fight night that happens every UFC fight night every Saturday night. It's just not true. It's just not true. You know, pick be be judicious with your time. Pick fights you want. Respect to all the fighters, of course. That's always the disclaimer. I know. I know it's a broken record. We have to say that. But it is respect to the fighters, respect to the matchmakers who have to put these cards together. I understand a lot of hard work's being put in, but I, I've had to be critical. Um, but I, I'm confident, Shaheen, that by the end of this, end of this entire show, this this edition of the uh, the ranking show, I'll be in a better mood. Look at that! I didn't even know. I, I think I accidentally hit a nerve there. I didn't even mean to make have you defend no. yourself. No, it's that? true. No, it's true. It's true. <laughs> You're still the prince of positivity in my eyes, my man. I, I try. I, yeah, you know, try. I want to be. Uh, so you guys already know, but just in case you don't, this is our once a month look into the MMA fighting global rankings, which come out first Wednesday of every month. Check them out. It's out right now on MMAfighting.com. Uh, AK, February is behind us. I hope everyone out there had a wonderful February, uh, and all your February dreams came true. And for our purposes, what a month it was. You usually think of February shortest month of the year, not a lot going on, but Lordy, Lordy, that, that couldn't have been further from the truth this time around. I mean, you have four UFC events. Although apparently some of which you were down on AK. That's neither here nor there. Uh, two Bellator cards and seemingly 
half of the entire middleweight top 15 on our rankings were in action. So as we emerge, quickly, let's run down where we stand heading into March. Yet tied to Ivasa, making the biggest jump this month, he rockets up from number four, or to number four, I should say, from number 14 at heavyweight for that knockout win over Derek Lewis. And that might actually be the biggest jump in the history of these rankings for us. AK, you and I were talking about this off air. 10 spots, uh, that might be the biggest jump we've seen so far in the seven months we've been doing this. Derek Lewis drops down two spots to number six. Jamal Hill also making his debut here in the rankings at number 14 at light heavyweight after the first round KO of Johnny Walker. One of the more brutal knockout sequences you will ever see. Uh, poor Johnny, the way he fell. That was a tough one. And we'll get more <laughs> into that later in the show. Uh, also, Jared Cannonier, Sean Strickland, both moving up at middleweight to number four, number eight, respectively. While our top three of Izzy Arsenia, Robert Whitaker, Gegar Musasi, all her hold firm. And their spots, uh, Islam Makachev breaking a tie he had with Benil Daryush for number four after the win over Bobby Green. And then finally, on the pound-for-pound front, Gegar Mousasi, the legend, finally starting to get some damn respect. He jumps up six spots from number 20 to number 14 on the men's pound-for-pound list. You'll love to see it. AK, that's the list. Biggest movers and shakers of February. When you look at that and you hear it, who's your MVP? Who won the month? Uh, Shaheen, I, before I endorse this man and everything he's about, I, I want to make it very clear. I've, I have said this from the beginning. I have never wavered on this. I have uh, very publicly made my stance clear on this. Shoeys are disgusting. Uh, you know this. You know this. You, 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 <laughs> you're aware. I'm aware uh, how, that you, bad, you're the biggest yes. Shoey fan of the MMA media, frankly. I, the, is, I, I don't drink in general, and then the idea of drinking out of a stranger's shoe. Now, I do love, obviously, you know, to answer your question, I am talking about Taito Ivasa, the man who defeated uh, uh, Derek Lewis in a thrilling slugfest. And uh, yes, as you said, as you said, has moved into our top five, really the top four. Top four. He's number heavyweight. four, baby. Yes, number four, right behind former world champions. Uh, sorry, a current world champion and interim champion and a former champion in Ganu. Silogan, Stephen Miocic. So uh, that's uh, quite illustrious company to be in. I'm sure people wouldn't group him with them. Again, that's probably that those three are a tier on their own. Probably put tie below that. But the fact that he's even within spitting distance is pretty shocking, uh, given where he was. Oh, I see what you not did too there. long ago. Spitting. Yes, I see it. Ugh, I see it. I, 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 you I thought it. about it. You that love, was intentional. I'm just going to I'm just going to say. I, I know I'm derailing us, but Please. at some point this year, we're going to have to make some sort of bet. That is shoey related because I'll do like five shoeys right now. I have no, I absolutely do not can care. I, I'm a gross human being when it comes can to that I kind not of thing. Drink alcohol? Can I drink milk out of a shoey? I'll drink milk. I'll do a milk shoey. Oh, I, yeah, I know. I know. That so- feels so much worse <laughs> than anything else. Because people say at least the alcohol, you know, would disinfect, provide some disinfection if you were to like drink from a stranger's shoe or something. Oh, I just uh, gagged in I, my I, mouth. Like, pouring, pouring, pouring milk into a stranger's shoe and then drinking it. Doesn't sound great. I'm not a doctor. It just sounds like like not a, it sounds like a recipe for uh me taking two weeks off in the hospital or something dude that feels so much incredibly <laughs> worse that feels like levels drink. and levels above what a shoey actually would like i you couldn't pay me enough to do that i don't drink alcohol but i'll tell you something if i do it i won't fake it i don't i do, you see those guys on tv they do the the the, the stone cold the stone cold the dribble dribble 90 percent of the beer out of their mouth like over their chin onto their shirt they drink maybe <laughs> so they right just have dirty i would shirts not the do rest that yeah <laughs> and they're just like sticky with yeah I, I will do an honest one if i if i do ever have to do one i will do an honest one i i will say that you won't see me uh i, I don't know if i could go, like you know chug it like we talking like full a, like spit too or what uh, so, so you, do you spit yourself or someone else no, spits someone into else it, then you definitely it? spits into it yeah because at that oh i don't care about that because at that point you're drinking a beer out of a shoe. 
So what's what's a little extra spit gonna do? Like the thought of it is gross, but I know, but I'm you know I don't care. I'm like I'm like I, this is this whole thing is gross. Two people can spit in it. I don't care. Like it's not gonna make any difference. So oh, I like but, that. All right, put a pin in that. That's gonna, we're gonna make a bet at some point. Whatever. Right? It's if we could get a lucky what someone from staff and a lucky fan, we'll have a contest. A lucky fan gets a spit in the shoe. You know, it's great. Let's get this. Let's get it. Let's make this a real social thing. Um, but yes, back to Mr. Tai Toivasa. Uh, I, I, again, I know there's going to be some debate. How much does a win over Derek Lewis, who again, perennial a guy who's been sitting in the top five forever, does that um, does that instantly make Tuivasa a top five guy? It certainly does in my books. Great performance. He'd been trending in that direction, Shaheen, at least as far as popularity goes. The, the cool walkouts, again, the shoey, just his general demeanor. Uh, beating up Greg Hardy, that's always going to endear you to a large group of the fans, <laughs> I think. Um, so for him to get the signature win is just so huge. And, and I have no problem saying that uh, he's a legitimate top five heavyweight in the world top four and i think my mvp for the month of february it's hard to argue against that it really is i mean that's probably the right answer if, if we're being honest he's the number four heavyweight in the world mm-hmm. dude mm-hmm. tied to ivasa a guy who was unranked i think like two months ago or three months ago in these <laughs> rankings number four in the world that is crazy and maybe he he's not actually the fourth best heavyweight in the world we're actually gonna get into that topic later in this episode but he's there and he, he got favorable matchmaking. The the Derek Lewis fight is probably the best possible opportunity for him to make that sort of advancement up the rankings. He made it. Uh, he definitely won the month for me, for just in general. If, if you're picking a right answer, he's the right answer. But let me make the case for Jamal Hill just quickly. Because Jamal Hill was someone who, I, would, I won't say he didn't matter before this month. But he he wasn't on the he wasn't sort of in the periphery, right? Like he was not in anybody's view when they're looking at light heavyweight, who the the names that that matter, the names that are potentially, you know, coming up through the ranks. Nobody was out here mentioning Jamal Hill. And now I feel like he's really forced his way into that conversation. I mean, that Johnny Walker knockout, as I said, was one of the more vicious, brutal ways you could see someone get knocked out. Like the actual photo of Johnny crushed up against the cage is is devastating, man. Like that is a real do you want to be an effing fighter type of photo if you just show somebody that Jamal Hill matters now in this light heavyweight division and, and the light heavyweight division doesn't have a lot of names uh that look really daunting in front of him outside of you know in that in that I would say like the top five uh, but once you get past the top five like anybody can beat anybody on any given night now it feels like Jamal Hill's in that range he's young he's obviously got a lot of power he's able to cut a promo Jamal Hill made a name for himself in February, and I think he's going to be in this conversation now moving forward, especially for the next couple of years. Yeah, yeah. look, crack, cracking into the rankings in pretty much any division is tough. Uh, some are thinner than others. Uh, light heavyweight, probably on the thinner side compared to like, you know, the, the lighter weight classes, bantamweight, featherweight, lightweight, etc. Uh, but still quite, quite an achievement and a big turnaround, I think. I, I, the, the Paul Craig fight was such a definitely viewed as sort of a big test for him. And I, I don't know, I can't speak to the populace. I don't know if people were disappointed that it didn't go his way. Um, but again, Paul Craig, I think, is, you know, it's just a, a more experienced Experience goes a long way. I think Paul Craig has that on him. You run this fight back 18 months from now, could be a very, very different story. So, uh, yeah, it is nice to see that the, the promise that he showed, you know, in his first uh, the contender series and then his first few UFC fights was not a smokescreen because he's bounced back from that Craig loss with uh, back-to-back first-round knockouts. And uh, that that has people uh, very, very excited for his chances uh, at 205 pounds. So, um, yeah, Shaheen, I am shocked you didn't go with Moose. <sighs> I mean, you know me. I could go. I could talk ten minutes about Moose right now, uh, but he, he he beat Austin Vanderford. Like yes, 
that's that's all you got to say, right? Like, but every but every we talked about this on early shows. Every fight he has now is so high risk, uh, or so it depends who it is. Hot, medium to high risk, low reward. Absolutely you know? true. Uh, yeah, right. Uh, uh, I I would call you know a, a Vanderford. He was undefeated, so there was that that mystique of the undefeated. But I guess anyway, I think if you'd watch his fights pretty closely, it was hard to outside of again um, doing what other people done in the past and maybe getting being able to out wrestle Gegard for you know twenty five minutes that there just didn't seem to be another path to victory for him. Um, so, so that, so he was probably on the medium to low risk end. John Salter again, medium risk. And yeah, any one of these guys, if they beat Wasasi, I mean, I don't know how we're going to handle it. If he loses to like a Tokov. I mean, I know like how a, we'll handle it. I know how everyone else will handle it. I guess. Wh- what do you think? Everyone's just going to do the thing. Well, okay. Gagar was never that good. And then drop, him, saying, drop like, him down to like number eight or number 10, which is that's what I'm saying. Ridiculous. How, how low does it go, right? Because if you lose, let's. It depends who it is, but okay. The names I'm throwing out: Tokov, uh, Johnny Eblen. You know these aren't exactly household names. Good fighters for sure, not household names. If any of them beat Musasi, I don't think any of us would be in a hurry to throw like do what we did with Tuivasa and throw one of them in the top five. More rather, Musasi would drop several, several spots. Um, and then uh, the person would likely jump just one spot ahead of him, or or not, or not, or just move closer to the to the top ten. And while Musasi plummets to, like you said, eight, nine, I, I am very curious if that loss uh, finally comes, how far will people drop him? It, it's it's going to be tough to watch, but it doesn't matter, Sean, because this 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 week, like you said, uh, this month, excuse me, uh, flying up the pound for pound rankings, flying up. You love to see it. You love to see it. People we, we finally had some giving our, him some respect. We had some of our colleagues definitely course correct. We had, yeah, I, I was speaking to you about the rankings, you know, again off air and saying like, man, I'm so, I'm surprised that the, just you know uh, such such and such person moved him from uh, whatever like twentieth in their pound for pound to twelfth or or eighteenth to to eleventh or ten, and I'm like, this is them saying this is where they knew he should have been all along. You know, this is this is a course correct. So so it is a big jump, but I think you and me should know that uh, that that jump shouldn't have been necessary. He yeah. should have been top 15 pound for pound right now anyway. Absolutely. And I mean, next next fight, it seems like he's probably going up to light heavyweight, probably face the Grand Prix winner at light heavyweight. And, you know, you say that's there's not a lot of high risk or I guess all of his fights are high risk, low reward. That actually feels like it's a high reward fight where if he goes yes. up and he beats a Corey Anderson or of a team Nemkov. That is a legitimately crazy win for Gegard Mousasi at this point in his career. And at that point, he has to shoot up a lot of people's rankings, whether it's pound for pound or middleweight or however it is. Uh, But anyway, we have a lot to get to this episode. We're going to be bringing in the rest of the crew here in a few minutes. Mike Heck and Damon Martin join us. But quickly, AK, let's look ahead at what we're working with for March. Another four UFC shows, one Bellator show. Plenty of other smaller promotions as well. You have a lot on the line this weekend. Uh, UFC 272, Covington Masvidal, Kevin Holland making his welterweight debut, Bryce Mitchell, uh, he who of, of lots of theories, he's got theories about the world, versus Edson Barboza, RDA versus Moicano now. A lot to like there. And then later on in the month, you have Magomed Ankalaya finally making that move against Tiago Santos, Tom Aspinall. Hopefully, Hopefully getting a chance to do the same against Alexander Volkov if all of that works out. Hopefully that fight can stay together. Uh, Curtis Blades versus Chris Dawkins. A lot more I didn't mention. So AK, what are you eyeballing? What's the biggest storyline? What's the biggest rankings play we're going to be talking about this time next month? Well, okay. We got, we I hear got, you rubbing let, your hands there. Let's I, go. Uh, yes, that was that was me audibly rubbing my hands. Uh, that's a special, special effects for you folks at home. Um, I, I'm very interested to see... Well, this weekend, let's let's we got Covington and Masvidal. I know Covington's a pretty heavy favorite. I haven't looked at the odds. He's got to be at least minus 250, maybe minus 300. There's just a lot of people who just don't see a path to victory. But uh, Covington has been the de facto number two welterweight for a while. So that division gets shaken 
uh, really uh, considerably with a, with a, a Masvidal win and also puts the matchmakers in a sticky pickle because, I mean, I guess no matter who wins, neither of them is getting that Usman rematch right away. But uh, but Uz- Masvidal sticky pickle. Yeah, a sticky, you know, a sticky pickle. I've heard Masvidal, being put into a pickle, but I've never heard. Pardon sticky my pickle. La- pardon my language, everyone. A sticky pickle. Uh, that sounds really but, uh, gross. <laughs> I do wonder between how Masvidal, that and the milk shoeys. I'm just you're on a different wavelength than me right now. We have Masvidal currently 11 in our rankings. I do wonder uh, how he'll be viewed if he actually managed to beat his rival and and again a guy that we all consider to be one A. At, at 170 pounds, uh, the flyweight division. I don't know if you if you looked if you looked at this, uh, Shaheen. It's really busy this month. Yeah, we've got yeah we've got uh, the man that Damian uh, Damian Martin considers the number one flyweight in the world, Adriano Moraes, uh, facing Yuya Wakamatsu. So this will be his first title defense since, since uh, knocking out Demetrius Johnson. DJ himself competing in a custom rules bout. Uh, oh, we got DJ still at number four. That. Cannot wait. Yes, for it's that. very cool. So I know it doesn't it's not, doesn't really have rankings implications, but I know there's also a lot of our listeners out there who are like, what? Where has Demetrius Johnson been since that knockout lost to Mount Ice? It's like, well, this fight with Rod Tan got delayed, but it is happening. Uh, it, it fingers crossed, uh, March 26th. Askar Askarov is fighting Kai Kar France as two top ten flyweights. So, so we have three, Shane, three of the top five flyweights in the world uh, competing this month in some in some form or fashion. Uh, uh, Matthias Nicolau also fighting David Dvorak and Tim Elliott. So uh, again, we got a lot of a lot of flyweight action. A division that hasn't always like had these kind of bursts of activity. I think since we started doing the rankings, it's the first time we've had a month where it's like wow, like four four bouts like with real real implications. And I do want to tell people to keep an eye on a fight that just kind of got put together today. Shaheen Manon Fioro facing number six former uh, flyweight title challenger, Jennifer Maya. Uh, That's a good one. We, we were expecting Manon to have a jump up anyway. You know, she was finally going to knock Jessica I out of whatever <laughs> rankings that she was still in. <laughs> Unfortunately, that fight fell through. Now she gets an even bigger test. And I, 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 I like, I mean, I think she was, I didn't see the odds. She must have been at least again, two to one favorite against Jessica I. I don't know if that's the case against Jennifer Maya. Uh, Jennifer Maya, yes, short notice, but so much more experience, a very, very uh, good fighter and way, way better than anyone that Manon has faced. So that's coming up just in a few days, guys. Keep an eye out for that fight. We could have a new contender at Flyway. I don't know what happens if uh, Fiorello, who's a, a big fight finisher, if she knocks out Jennifer Maya, again, I wouldn't bet on it. If she does, uh, we'll definitely be talking about her next month. That's for sure. That was a great rundown, AK. That was very mm. thorough. I appreciate it. For me, the one, all of it, I mean, it's it's almost the default answer, but the one that I think will be the most impactful once we're doing this show again next month is what we're looking at on Saturday mm. between Colby and Jorge Masvidal because Jorge Masvidal is in such a bizarre spot right now within this division where I think if, I don't know the UFC rankings. I'm, I don't have it up right now, but I'm sure if you look at him, he's like top four, top five in that welterweight division. Whereas if you look at our rankings, I mean, we have an eight person panel Three people don't even have him in the top 15, just globally, when you consider all the talent at 170. And then the the five that do have him in sort of this number eight or number nine spot. So we have him much lower than I think the UFC has him. Because right now it feels like a lot of people have lost some faith in Jorge Masvidal's ability to compete with the very, very best in the world at 170. He's obviously not shot. That's not what I'm saying. But just in terms of the global scheme of this. But man, if he's able to beat Colby... That is the biggest reaffirmation he could possibly have after those very tough fights against Kamaru Usman. Is, is that the biggest win of his career? Gotta be, right? Has to be. In, hmm. in particular, when you consider just the, the stakes and where he's at at this point in his career. Because if he loses, just even within the UFC itself at that point, like what's left for him? Mm-hmm. He's, he's, he's at that point probably lost a lot of the shine that was on him after that incredible fighter of the year run. 
Uh, he's lost twice for the title. He's lost to one of the top contenders. At that point, he's just kind of the guy that you throw in either for fun fights or to have other people build the name off of him. And I don't, that's not what Jorge Masvidal wants to be at this point in his career. Yeah, he goes back to kind of where he was before the uh, Darren Till fight, but with it, you know, with some fatter paychecks at least. But uh, yeah, I know what you mean as far as as far as status goes. It, it'll 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 be a very clear arc. Uh, him going up the Darren Till, the the Ben Askren, and then coming down with the Usman title fights. And uh, oh, and sorry, and, and, and Nate Diaz. I almost forgot. Excuse me. But then, and then peaking, boom, coming down. So yeah, but there could be a, there could be a second peak this Saturday. Could be, and also the same could be said for Colby Covington, right? If he loses mm-hmm. this fight, same zero and two against the champ loses to someone who's sort of a periphery contender. That's a rough spot to be in at this point in his career. I mean, he he is someone who I think a lot of people believe could be a champion if, if Kamaru Usman didn't exist. For Colby Covington to suddenly find himself in that spot, that'd be tough. Uh, but we'll see, AK. That is why they fight the fights. In the meantime, let's bring in some pals. Let's have some fun here. And we'll be right back. We're this close to crowning an NBA champ. And with the action heating up on the court, it's even hotter at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get a no-sweat bet, up to 1500 bucks if your first bet doesn't hit. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. One no-sweat bet per new customer. Issued as one bonus bet based on amount of initial losing bet. Bonus bets expire. 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility, wagering, and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Support for this show comes from Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Loom help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great but together we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian Software for everything from space exploration and green energy to delivering pizzas and podcasts. Whether you're a team of two, 200 or 2 million, or whether your team is around the corner or on another continent altogether, Atlassian Software is built to help keep you all on the same page from start to finish. That way, every one of your teams, from engineering and IT to marketing, HR and legal, can stay connected and move together as one towards shared company-wide goals. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. All right, we are back. Joined now by the rest of the crew, Damon Martin, Mike Heck. Appreciate you fellas for coming on and making this a bit of a party. Uh, So we're jumping right in. February was an extraordinarily busy month. Lots going on. Mark, March looks just as busy. Uh, so we have here today 
10 major threads that we're going to tug on from everything we just watched over the last month. We're just going to play a little game of fact or fiction. I'll tee a statement up. You guys tell me whether you agree or disagree, whether there's a case to be made there, and really whether it's fact or fiction. It's very simple. Uh, and so let's start here. And Michael, go to you first. Number one, Islam Makachev is the best lightweight in the world. Fact or fiction? We have talked about this man quite a bit over the last week. He was almost coming back this week. Uh, it just didn't, it didn't end up happening. But Mike, fact or fiction? Islam Makachev, best lightweight in the world. So we originally, when this concept was brought to my attention a couple of minutes ago before we hit record, there was going to be a third option of whether or not it would be like an incomplete. And I feel like that's exactly where I would go with this. So I'm going to say... You didn't want fence sitting. You said no fence sitting. I didn't say that, but it's okay. I'm okay for anything, but I'm going to say fiction. I'm going to say fiction right now. He's right up there. He's definitely in the conversation. And if you want to come out and say that Islam Makachev is the best lightweight in the world... I'm really not going to argue with you, but just in my mind, again, resume matters to me. Win streak is great. The way he's disposing of these competitors is just awe-inspiring. It's just unbelievable to watch, but he still doesn't have that signature win yet. He doesn't have a top five win. I need to see that. And his first test in that department is probably going to be for the title. So I guess I'm going to say fiction for right now, but he certainly got an an opportunity to, to change my mind and change my mind in, in his next fight. So I'll say fiction for now, but very good chance that the next time we have this conversation, it is fact. Damon, I mean, this is a man who goes out there. He barely gets touched at this point. It's not his fault. He's not getting these big fights. He keeps getting teed up for these big fights and it's just not happening. Is it, can you can, can you blame him for it? Like it, the way you when you when you see him go out there and he just dominates these people, can you is there enough to visualize him as the best lightweight in the world? Do you think there is? I mean, stylistically, he's a monster and he's a horrible matchup for you know just about anybody. Much like his predecessor, you know, Khabib was. I mean, he's just a guy who will take you down and absolutely maul you. Um, so he's a monster and, and the problems he's had getting bigger fights, you know, have not really been his fault. I mean, he was matched up with Rafael dos Anjos multiple times. He was matched up with Kevin Lee. Uh, you know, he's been matched up with other guys and just fights fall apart. And it's been unfortunate. Uh, you know, of course, you know, this time Benil Dariush, you know, would have been a huge signature win for him considering the run that Benil's on. So, uh, it's not really his fault. Uh, but. You know, I do agree with Mike that, you know, based solely on resume, he hasn't had those signature wins. Beating Bobby Green is great. Bobby Green's not a top 15 fighter. Uh, you know, beating, uh, you know, Dan Hooker, solid win. Dan Hooker's barely a top 10 kind of fighter. And now he's moving to featherweight. Um, he doesn't have those kind of signature wins. Do I think he he could be you know, heavily favored in fights against guys like Dustin Poirier or, again, the, even the champion Charles Oliveira? Sure. But we still need to see him. I'm, I'm just I'm a seeing is believing kind of guy and we haven't seen it yet. So it's not really his fault, but, you know, it can't be ignored. Yeah, on a, on a I mean, on a different scale, but it's almost kind of like the argument um, that one would have against like uh, Chris Cyborg being, you know, the pound for pound. Like I, I was never uh, someone who thought Chris Cyborg was like definitively the greatest, you know, women's fighter of all time. Like even even when she was running through just because her level of competition was so poor. And again, it wasn't her fault, much like with Makachev. So, I mean, based on, you know, based on her performances, I understand why she was the de facto answer for you know, uh, greatest women's fighter of all time. I understand that. And in, sim in a similar vein with Makachev, just based on how he has won his fights, how he has strung together this 10-fight win streak against good competition. And I, let's let's be real. This is good competition. It's not top 10. It's not top 15. 
I understand that we we have reiter- we have reiterated this many times. Um, not top ten in the UFC's rankings, not top ten in, in our MMA fighting global rankings. Um, but you have to, you know, when you watch, you have to extrapolate uh, from the results. You can you you can make reasonable, educated guesses about his performance. So, uh, of course, you guys know I'm a I'm a Charles Oliveira all the way. So I have to go fiction here. <laughs> I have to, I have to go fiction here. The number one lightweight based on merit and also performances. It's not like if we're going to praise Makachev's performances. I mean, you have to praise Oliveira's too. Yeah, he takes more damage. Yeah, the fights are probably more exciting than his he and his family and his team would like them to be. But I don't feel like that makes you necessarily an inferior fighter. Like, again, it, it, it does depend on the level of competition. Like, would Makachev also go untouched against uh, Michael Chandler? Would he go untouched against Dustin Poirier? Maybe. Maybe he would. I don't know. I can't, I can't say he wouldn't. But this is this is the case where you cannot ding Oliveira for having, uh, you know, to face adversity against elite competition because Makachev hasn't had that opportunity yet. So we can't give him the benefit of the doubt. We can't uh, we can't punish Oliveira for putting on exciting fights with those guys. Oliveira is still the answer at number one. But that's the beauty of the lightweight division is by the end of this year, we're going to have a definitive answer of who really is the best lightweight in the world. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm going to have to zig where you guys Do are it. zagging or zag where you Do guys it. are zigging. I'm just saying it's maybe unfair. And I feel like I've, I, I at this point, I've continually been unfair to Charles Oliveira. And I don't really know why, because he's such a good fighter. He's such a, you know, his resume is is kind of unparalleled at, at this point in his career, especially all the records that he has and things like that. But this past weekend just sold me. It really did. And I do feel at this point, I think I'm on Jed's side at this point, our good friend Jim Mishu. Don't say I, that. I think Islam Makachev is the best lightweight in the world, man. And I know I just keep continually disrespecting Charles Oliveira because I was saying the same exact thing about Dustin Poirier for months last year. And then, you know, he goes out and beats Dustin. There is something to the projection of what we're seeing here, right? You you, you go back with, with uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov and the run that we saw with Habib. I know we're talking about Islam doesn't have that signature win, but Habib didn't have that signature win either. By the time he won the title, he there was no signature win. There was like a Edson Barboza maybe or a Michael Johnson, and that wasn't some type of you know world beating win. That's just the way he was going out there and dominating those guys. You were able to project it forward. Of I bet he could continue to do this against the best in the world when he gets the opportunity. That's kind of where I'm at now with Islam Makachev because nobody does that to Bobby Green. And I know it's Bobby Green and it feels silly to use Bobby Green as this way to prop up Islam. But Bobby Green's been fighting a long time, man. Like Bobby Green doesn't get finished. Bobby Green doesn't get run through like that. And there was no resistance whatsoever in that fight. And you can say, you know, short notice, everything that goes into it. I don't know, man. The way that Islam is winning these fights and the level of dominance that he is putting out there, it feels very easy to project that forward. And at this point, he just feels like a nightmare matchup for everybody in the same way that Habib did. And I know it's not his fault that he's not able to get these matchups. I wish the Benil Daryush fight had happened, but I just can't see anybody beating Islam. And, and that may be unfair to Charles Oliveira, but to me, he is at this point the best lightweight in the world. And I'm sure we're going to find out later, but I've, I'm sold, guys. I feel like I'm, I'm completely sold. You're not thirsty right now, are you, Sean? <laughs> I'm a little thirsty. Are you thirsty right now? I'm a little thirsty. You're a little because you've been drinking some haterade, son. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> am I? Am I hating? I, I. It's just so impressive also, at this point, man. Two words. Two words for who ran through Bobby Green, Dustin Poirier. Just saying. Just throwing that out there. Fair. That's fair. Although that was a very different style of, of running through, but I, I agree with you. Just saying. Sha- just saying. Shaheen, Last time Shaheen. Bobby Green fought, fought a top five guy. Just saying. Shaheen, nothing. No, no, no opinion or idea 
that's good has ever started off well with I'm with Jed Mishu or Jed Mishu is starting to make sense to me. And, and I hope that's the last time we hear it on this episode. I mean, I hope it's the last time we hear it ever, period. But if I hear it more than once today, I'm going to be very concerned. I'm very concerned. I'm just saying Jed Mishu was out here arguing for Valentina Shevchenko to be the number one woman in the world way before it actually happened. So the man has some ideas sometimes. He makes like 20 crazy predictions and like one hits. <laughs> Maybe this is the one. I, I, I'm just sold. I'm sold. He also said Dustin Poirier was just going to straight up smoke Charles. I, I want this on the record. He was all in on Dustin. He's like, he's like, oh, Dustin Poirier is going to kill Charles Oliver. Well, to him. be fair, everybody was more or less. Yeah, and you were all fools. <laughs> Maybe. I, I don't know what it is with Charles Oliver. He's just my blind spot, man. I, I can't. I keep overlooking him. So we'll see. Uh, let's move on, though. Number two, fact or fiction. Gay guard Musasi, the legend, beloved Legend, I have to say, top uh, probably like a top three interview in MMA right now. That guy is just on fire in these interviews. Uh, Gegard Musasi is at worst the number two middleweight in the world. Damon, fact or fiction? Fiction. Uh, I love, I love the big moose. I love Gegard Musasi. He's a monster. I think I have him at number three. Uh, but you know, beating Austin Vanderford in a minute 20 doesn't really show me anything that I didn't expect. Uh, gay guard should have smoked him just like he should have smoked John Salter and he went out there and did it and good for him. It was a great, you know, you know, quality wins, uh, quality performances, but unless Robert Whitaker just stopped existing, uh, I still have Robert Whitaker as number two. And because when you look at Robert Whitaker's credentials beyond the Adesanya fight, even the Adesanya fight that, you know, you could take that into argument that he lost that fight 48, 47, very close fight, you know, put on a really, really good fight with that one, but he beat Jared Cannon there. He beat Kelvin Gastelum. Uh, you know, he, he beat Darren Till. Uh, you know, he's on a good win streak outside of him. He's only losses at middleweight have come to Israel Adesanya, who is the number one middleweight in the world. And I love Gegard Musasi. The problem is Gegard's running into you know, what AJ McKee is running into right now. What a lot of other guys in Bellator one championship are running into is just, unfortunately, once you get through the best guy, the next step down in competition isn't as good. And then that's the problem he's going to continue to run into. I, I like Austin Vanderford quality guy. He would, he, he's nowhere near the top 15 in the best middleweights of the world. Uh, John Salter. I like John Salter very much. Nowhere near the top 15 in the best middleweights in the world. So he can continue to win and continue to plow through, you know, top 30 guys. But as long as Robert Whitaker exists and Robert Whitaker doesn't go out there and just get smoked in his next fight. Robert Whitaker is still number two in terms of the best middleweights in the world. Mike, this is a man who left the UFC in 2017 off of five straight wins, four of those finishes, and the names on them still hold up. Tiago Santos, Vitor Belfort, Uriah Hall, Chris Weidman. That's a good list. Is there a case here? Uh, I mean, you could probably make one, but it wouldn't be a very good one. I don't think uh, <laughs> it would hold up in the in any court, uh, uh, to be honest with you. It's hard to really build upon what Damon just said because he said everything, but allow me to, to add a chimney, so to speak. Musasi is number three in a lot of our rankings, except for one individual. I think he's number three across the board, except for one person. And I think, and I, AK, I'm sorry to say this, but I think, our friend Jed Mishu kind of said it correctly. He Dude, just happened to say it first. Look at Two this. Two times already. Two times already. How are you guys doing? Little, but a little bit of that is because we adore Gegard. You know what I mean? Like if Gegard Musasi fought Robert Whitaker, I would pick Robert Whitaker. If Gegard Musasi fought Jared Kennanier, as much as it would pain me to do it because I just I admire Gegard so much, I'd probably favor Kananir in that fight. I'd wow, probably really? favor Marvin. I'd probably favor Marvin Vittori against Gegard Musasi. 
down the list. I think the it's it's a little closer, but yeah, I, I just can't I can't see a world where Musasi I, I think Musasi would would compete and have a close fight with Robert Whitaker. I think Whitaker would probably 49 46 him. And I don't know if Adesanya, I don't know how that fight would go. I, I would say he's probably a three to one dog in that fight. So yeah, I'm with Damon. It's fiction, but I admire the guy. In in my heart, in, in my heart of middleweight rankings, Musasi's top two, easy. But uh, in in the real world, he's number three at best, and that might even be just because we admire him so much. That surprises me to hear you say that you would favor him over a guy like a Cannoneer, or you know, uh, Acosta, or something like that. He's his wrestling's just so good. I'm not, I'm not, I wouldn't favor him over cost. Cannonier, I think his wrestling's so good. And Musasi's a very strong guy. He's a very good defensive wrestler and he can deliver some good ground and pound. The Cannonier leg kicks are just so nasty. It's you kind of pick your poison with a guy like Cannonier. I think maybe it speaks more to how underrated Cannonier is because Cannonier gave Whitaker some fits. And if that was a five round fight, I'm, I'm very curious to see how, how that would play out. I know Cannonier got hurt in that fight, but I think Cannonier is better than a lot of people are giving him credit for. AK, this is a man who's 12 and one over the last six years. Please give me something here. Fact. Fact. Uh, I, I, I get what Mike and Damon are saying, uh, but there's nothing in his performances since other than a regrettable loss to a Rafael Lovato Jr., who I, who I think is a pretty good middleweight. Which is a close and, you know, fight and could could have gone either way. And again, one of those, you know, one of those fights we've seen Musashi lose. It happens. It happens. Right. Um, but other than that, like we said, he's dispatched of his competition pretty, pretty clearly. I mean, Cheetah, tough matchup. He beat him. But, you know, he, fought, he finally won the rematch. Tough matchup anyway. Not not a guy who's going to blow out. Probably if they fight 10 times, probably never going to blow up Machida. Other than that, very strong performances all around. I haven't seen much drop off at all. I, I know we're, we're considering age. I know we're considering uh, level of competition. But, and I'm going to sound like E. Casey Lydon here a bit. So there we go. So second person that we probably shouldn't use as a reference point. I, I don't know definitively that some of the guys he's beaten, maybe not Aston Vanderford, uh, but some of the guys he's beaten in in um, Bellator aren't like, you know, aren't of, of the quality of like, of like Darren Till at middleweight. Like Darren Till at middleweight is really good. But like, I, I don't know, is he that much better than Rafael Carvalho? Like, I, I'm willing to ask that question. I know people are going to say John Salter versus Darren Till, who you favor? John like, Salter, that, that I don't love either, but I, I, do, I do think John Salter actually is pretty good. Like I said, Darren Till is uh, riding a close win over Gaslam and a kind of a, a decent performance against any loss to uh, Whitaker. And that's fine. I understand people watch those two fights. And from that, you can say, well, Darren Till is – I have Darren Till highly ranked. I think people know I'm one of the one of the supporters of having him pretty highly ranked at 185. So I'm as guilty of this as anyone. But I also – I mean, people should know I'm, I'm pretty UFC biased, pretty UFC leaning with my rankings. But I cannot objectively say like, oh, John Salter would just get straight up like destroyed by Darren Till. I don't know that. I don't know that. I do think they've been facing a different level of competition. Uh, Douglas Lima at middleweight, I think, would give uh, uh, Darren Till a really good fight. And I, I mean, they're both essentially just welterweights anyway, right? Or Darren Till was once upon a time. So that's a really good win for for Musashi. I feel like we should count. Um, and the biggest thing that we kind of brought up, how would he fare against Whitaker? I would. I really like a matchup between Whitaker. I think Whitaker would be favored. I'd be shocked if it was anything more than like minus 150. I really would be surprised. Um, I know he's a bigger name now, so probably the odds would move in his direction. But Musasi's um, quite a bit bigger than him. He's a great, he's still, I think, one of the best strikers at 185 pounds. There's, uh, and, and as is Whitaker, but there's nothing there I see where I'm like, oh, Whitaker has surpassed him by so much. I'm like, I, I don't see that. So I'm absolutely happy to make a case that uh, Musasi is number two. I, I just... Uh, you, uh, uh, Shaheen, you mentioned again, those wins hold up. 
I mean, I know they're they're quite a few years away now, but he was knocking off elite guys. He should have fought Michael Bisping. He He's would basically have been, the number one contender when he left. He would have been a two to one favorite over Michael Bisping if that fight ever got made. At the time, he would have been a two to one favorite. I, I'm I'm pretty sure minus one eighty two. It would have moved to two hundred. People were saying he definitely would beat, and and this has so much to do with also people criticizing um, this being sort of title run, uh, with with respect to the to the legend. But uh, and so imagine if Musashi just won the UFC title, would we view him differently now? Um, and if he had done that and still you know still ended up leaving the UFC eventually, would would he be able to hold that number two ranking for longer? Because um, I have no issue doing that. I, I I do think I like him both a matchup with Whitaker. I think his strength of resume, it it's it's better than people think. Minus maybe the Vanderford win we blowout we just saw, uh, and uh, and again his past accomplishments are just uh, you know nearly unimpeachable. So yeah, I'm gonna go fact. Wow, I, I want to have the balls to join you, AK. I really do because I'm the biggest Musasi Mark in the world. I mean, the the amount of slander that was on the timeline uh, after he was after he won over the weekend and, and was sort of proclaiming his staking his claim there in the division kind of blew me away a little bit. Silly. It, it feels like people don't actually have an understanding of who Gegard Musasi is. And maybe that's just, that comes with the territory when, you know, the fan, a lot of the fan base is probably a newer fan base either who joined along during the pandemic or even maybe a few years before that. But like, this is a genuine legend of the game, like almost 50 wins titles in Bellator, two titles in dream titles in strike force cage warriors. If you look down his list of wins, it's shocking how good it is and how era spanning it is. I mean, this is a dude who beat Mark Hunt <laughs> in a fight at heavyweight, like a lot, like not too. I mean, it is a long time ago at this point, but like that was like good Mark Hunt. That wasn't like a past. It's probably Mark Hunt. The list is is just crazy. And to me, the level of disrespect he gets is uh, maybe it's it's expected because he is in Bellator. And anytime you have a Bellator fighter proclaiming sort of their spot as the number one in the world, this kind of happens. I would love I wish I wish so badly we could see either the Whitaker or the Adesanya fight because I think both of those are close fights and I don't think he gets washed by either and I think he could win either of them and it, it's just it's kind of a bummer that we, we don't get a chance to see this play out because it does feel like something weird happened with this last one with Austin Vanderford where like kind of opened some people's eyes like Gegar jumped six spots in our pound for pound list just for a win off over Austin Vanderford. And maybe that was just because he was being louder or because he was maybe being more open with doing more interviews and things like that. But I don't know. It does feel like something of a switch flipped over this last one that is unexpected, but maybe welcome in some, in some regard in the way people are viewing him. Am I alone in feeling that? I don't I mean, say, being, oh, be, I mean, being vocal, being, you know, being vocal and things like that. I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't disagree. I think people are kind of taking notice and, uh, you know, for some for some reason, this, you know, this fight got a lot more uh, attention than, let's say, the John Salter fight, which is kind of weird, considering, you know, John Salter has a you know far better resume, a middleweight than than Austin Vanderford. But, yeah, I, I mean, again, it's it's out of sight, out of mind. And that's kind of the problem you get with Bellator in particular right now when they're kind of buried on, you know, Showtime sometimes and people, you know, they switch channels like, you know, 19 times, it seems like in the last three years. And. Uh, you know, the ratings haven't been great, so it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. Terrible. So I think, I think <laughs> Musasi, Musasi being so vocal, you know, helped. And, and again, I agree. Musasi is a, you know, top three interview guy's hilarious. You know, it's so funny. You know, he used to be the most stoic guy and you really couldn't get much out of him. And then he just started finally loosening up and having fun with interviews. And now he's hilarious. And, and I, again, you know, uh, to quote uh, one of my all time favorite movies, uh, personality goes a long way. And uh, and I think that helps with Musasi. But again, unfortunately, resume, you know, will just continue to haunt him. Like I said, I have Musasi ranked third. Marvin Vittori have ranked fourth. If Marvin Vittori goes out there and beats another, 
you know, top 10 guy, he goes on, you know, obviously I know we're talking about maybe him fighting Whitaker, which would be a whole other, you know, animal, but you know, even if he fights a Strickland or someone like that, like I think another signature win for Vittori and I would bump him over Musasi because I think Marvin Vittori just has a better resume right now. So uh, again, he's just, he's just a victim of his own success because he's in Bellator right now. Well, it does at least feel like we're about to get a very big year from Musasi. It seems like they're going to keep him very busy. Uh, the light heavyweight tournament winner is sitting out there. That might happen next. We'll see. Uh, anyway, it could be a very fun year for Gegard. Uh, Mike or Shaheen, did you know what movie uh, Damon was quoting there? Uh, personality goes a long way. Did either of you know what movie he was quoting? I got nothing. Not off the top of my Mike, head, no. Pigs, pigs got personality. Oh, personality I'm goes a long way. Pulp Fiction. Come on, guys. Come on. Oh, so I see you, Damon. Okay. I see you. I see okay. you. Thank you. Thank you, AK. I'm, so, I'm glad someone could back me up there. <laughs> I love that. I love that scene. <laughs> Good call. Good catch. Uh, number three. And this one is, I think, a, a debate that we all kind of had internally just amongst ourselves of trying to figure this one out because it, it was a very weird situation we have now playing it out heavyweight of a little bit of MMA math, a little bit of rock, paper, scissors here. Tied to Ivasa is a top four heavyweight. Fact or fiction? And the reason I ask this is because he is now in this nebulous zone with Derek Lewis and Curtis Blades in that four, five, six spot where you have Curtis who lost very badly to Derek Lewis. And then you have Ty who lost or who obviously knocked out Derek Lewis. What do you do in that situation? Is Ty above Curtis, even though his resume is nothing compared to Curtis? How do you how do you figure this out? Mike, Ty Tuivasa, top four heavyweight in the world? Yes or no? No, he is not. But that means nothing here. That means absolutely nothing in the grand scheme of things, because I have been very vocal since the moment that elbow from hell landed in Houston, Texas, that if the UFC cannot get John Jones and or Stipe Miocic, one of those two guys on the same page to fight for an interim heavyweight title, I firmly believe that even if Curtis Blades goes out there and destroys Chris Dacus on March 26th, that Tai Tuivasa should be the guy to fight for the title. But that doesn't mean he's a top four guy because I think Curtis Blades is a nightmare matchup for him. I think Cyril Gaon is a nightmare matchup for him. There's a probably a, a, a sizable chance that Stipe is a nightmare matchup for him. And John Jones would probably be a nightmare matchup for him. But Ty is still great. Like he's one of those guys almost like Derek but in a different way right now because he he's just on a tear right now where rankings mean nothing. It doesn't matter. If he loses his next fight, he goes out there and gets blasted in the first round. It does nothing to him. It really doesn't affect the way people view him in any way because the next time he's booked to fight, people are going to be excited. Just like the next time Derek Lewis is booked to fight, no matter who it's against, it means nothing. There are some guys that just the number next to their name doesn't matter. But Tai Tuivasa, I'm I'm happy to say he's the top five guy. But again, like look at some of the guys behind him. If he fought Alexander Volkov next, I have a hard time favoring Tai Tuivasa to win that fight. But that dude just needs one to land and he can win. But yeah, I, I cannot say as much as I would like to because I, I truly respect and admire what Tai Tuivasa has done lately. I cannot say that he is a top four heavyweight in the world, although... He is right. He is in the title mix more so than some of the guys that are ranked ahead of him. Damon, Ty right now is our number four heavyweight on this new update of the rankings. Do you agree? Ty Tuivasa, top four heavyweight. Uh, fiction, disagree, even though I have him ranked in the top five. Uh, and basically the reason being is accomplishment. I, you know, I, much like everything else we talked about with Islam, 
And Gagard, it's all about accomplishment. You knocked out Derek Lewis. Derek Lewis was a top five guy. You get in the top five, but I don't truly believe he's a top five heavyweight. And, you know, I don't need any further evidence to that than to look at his re- record. I mean, Junior Dos Santos knocked him out. He lost to Blagoy even off, and he got choked out by Sergey Spivak. Now, I like all three of those guys. Spivak has got a fight coming up, uh, you know, really soon, and, and I like Sergey very much. He's not a top 15 guy. His wins, Stefan Struve, who retired, Harry Hunsucker, who... Greg Hardy, who, uh, <laughs> Augusto Sakai, Diaper, uh, and Derek Lewis. He has one he has one really good win. His one really good win is over a really good heavyweight. And so, of course, he has to get in that top five. But um, I said this on my podcast with Michael Bisping right after the event. I, I don't see him beating Stipe. I don't see him beating Cyril Gaon. I don't see him beating Curtis Blades. And I agree with Mike 100%. Like, I would not pick him. In, in any of those fights, and I think some of them, are, I think Curtis Blades is a horrific matchup for Ty. I think Ty I totally gets agree. taken down and finished probably within the first round, maybe second round. I mean, that's a horrible matchup for him. Stipe, same way. If Stipe actually goes out there and wrestles, it's just, it's a nightmare. So he gets to the top five because he legitimately knocked out a top five guy. But I just don't believe in my heart of hearts he's a top five fighter. AK, what do you think? Beep, boop, 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 beep, boop. Guys, that is, uh, sorry, guys, that was me punching in, uh, punching things into the MMA math calculator, uh, <laughs> making this simple for myself. And uh, as the MMA math dictates, everybody really knows so bad. I'm sorry. Again. We're really stepping up. We're really stepping up the budget on the show. Um, the high quality, the high quality that. sound effects, yeah. man. The high oh, quality yeah, yeah. sound effects. We should I mean, have sold a, that better for you. I'm sorry. Listen, I'm, I'm, I'm a regular Michael Winslow over here, all right? Um <laughs> So, uh, Derek Lewis knocked out Curtis Blades. Tied to Avasa knocked out Derek Lewis. Tied to Avasa gets Lewis a spot. He's he's number four. He's number four. Derek Lewis number five. Curtis Blades number six. Uh, I'm a simple man, guys. I'm a simple man. I'm not an intelligent man. People, know, you guys know this. You've worked with me long enough. People, the the, the listeners, uh, readers know this. I'm not an intelligent man, but I am a man with systems. I'm a man with processes. I'm a man who who finds ways to simplify his life, and especially to simplify his MMA fandom. And in this case, fortunately, we do not have a scenario where like, you know, again, the MMA math always gets screwed up, of course, when you have three or four guys and they fight each other. And so, you know, there's sort of an uneven distribution of wins. Then you kind of have to use your, you know, your discretion. But here, two of us has not fought Blades. Yes, Blades would be a massive favorite if they were matched up. But that fight has not occurred yet uh Tuivasa got a much more favorable matchup still dangerous with Derek Lewis he took care of business so he gets those to spot it, it it's it's very very simple for me uh there's again there's a lot of cases I know in our rankings where we can use and we discussed earlier with Makachev would this guy beat this guy uh, and I think there has to be some element of that for anybody when they're doing their rankings but for me this just this is just pretty clear cut uh I think Blades will get his chance of course to to, to claim or reclaim that top four spot um and that's fine. And it may be at two of us's expense. It may be at Cito Gunn's expense. We don't know, right? Uh, uh, Curtis Blades is, is such a dangerous guy. And, and other than a couple of, uh, again, uh, missteps against Lewis and, and twice against Nganu, it feels like he's like championship material, right? So people don't have that same faith in Tuivasa. I understand. Uh, it wasn't long ago. He was on a three-fight losing streak. He was joking about being released by the UFC. So calling him a top four heavyweight seems absurd, but uh, everything about Ty Tuivas is absurd. So I have no issue putting him in there. This is this is uh, this is definitely a fact for me. He's he's top four. 
It's fact for me too, but I don't even feel good about it if I'm being honest. Because right now I have it. <laughs> I have it the same as ever, as a lot of us. I mean, prices have gone to number one, Steep A number two, gone number three. That's kind of consensus among everybody. But then I have tie number four just because I can't put Curtis Blades above Derek Lewis. Because like you can't, you watch that fight play out. I feel like Curtis should be above tie, but the MMA math aspect of it just trips me up. And so that actually leads us to question number four. Tai Tuivasa will never be higher ranked than he is right now. Mike, fact or fiction? Man, that's a great question. Um, no, I don't think. I, I think this is the ceiling. I, I think he's not even reaching his hands above his head at this point and touching the ceiling while standing on top of a ladder. I think he's that. I think he's he's reached it and power to him. Again, I just feel like the matchups don't suit him at all. But that's exactly why I think the UFC should just push him to the moon right now. Like, throw him into a title fight. I know the biggest fight you can make is Jones versus Stipe while Nganu is on the sidelines. But if for some reason, and historically, these two guys, like, want what they want and they don't get it, they're just not going to fight. Ty should be the guy. He should be the guy over anybody else. So ride this train till the wheels fall off and then push it even further. But at this point, throw him into a title fight. Give him his next fight. I would like to see his next fight for the title because I don't think we'll ever get to that place again. So, but ride this wave. Like people seem to to really like him. He draws numbers. He's people just enjoy tied to us. He's getting Dana White to do a bunch of shoeies or funnels out of a, a a funnel shaped like a shoe. I mean, there are not many gut fighters on the roster that can pull that off right now. So yeah, push this dude to the moon, but I think we're as high as we're going to get right now. And that's fine. That's totally fine. Like I said, having a number next to your name matters for most, but not for everybody. And tied to is one of those guys. He can still make a lot of money make a damn good living and headline tons of cards without being a top three, two, or, you know, the, the best heavyweight in the world. And who knows what a story would be if Tai Tuivasa could prove me wrong right now and wear a UFC title. That'd be one of the coolest stories in MMA history. AK, do you agree? Is this fact, is this the ceiling for Ty? Fiction. Fiction. Um, <laughs> look, aside from the obvious, this is MMA, anything can happen. Um, I, I just believe he's really made like substantial improvements. Now, now I, I, again, I'm not... Any against Gan Miocic and Ganu, we said it already. Um, uh, Curtis Blades, he's gonna be he's gonna be an underdog. You know, he'll be a two to two two to one and up, depending depending which name we're talking about here. Um, but but stranger things have happened, and, and when you have that kind of knockout power at heavyweight, uh, and again, and I and I really believe that um, what what he's a very different guy, I think, than the guy who who uh, was in that slump, who lost like an Andrzej Orlovsky. You know, that I don't think he's the same guy. I I, I think. Um, <laughs> he didn't show great defense in Derek Lewis fight, that's for sure. And, and it feels like at any moment he could have, you know, he could have been uh, KO'd, but he wasn't. But he wasn't. He he, dan- he dances along this razor thin line, and it's working for him so far. Um, uh, would it work against a more technical, again, opponent like uh, Ngannou or Khan? I don't know. You know, we, we can't say. But uh, but I, I'm never going to say never, especially when a guy's on a run like this, when the top of the heavyweight division is so uncertain. Um, Ngannou may never fight MMA again. He may leave for boxing. He may decide to stay in boxing, and we he's out of our rankings. Uh, you know, 18 months from now or or, or uh, end of next year. Right. And then there it goes. Suddenly a, a top up, a spot opens up, you know, in the and uh, and Tuivas moves up to number three, number two. We don't know. Right. So technical. I'm, I'm going by technicalities here. But these things happen. I, I will agree, though, if he ever won the UFC title, I mean, he goes right up there with, you know, I, I, I put him behind these guys. But in that Michael Bisping, like Jan Blahovitz category, you know, we're just wow, like, wow, really? Just, just, just because if you look back to the three fight win streak, if anyone had told you he'd be fighting for a title 
after that third loss of that run, we'd, you'd be like, like, no, like he's a fun guy. If I was sticking around, but he's not going to, I didn't pick him to beat Lewis. I remember I, I thought it'd be a fun fight. I thought Lewis was, was going to beat him. And I thought, I thought Lewis was his ceiling. So now that he has gotten past that, the ceiling has completely shattered for me. And I'm, I'm definitely on the fiction that this is uh, as far as he can go. What do you think, Damon? Uh, it's a fact. And, and, and the reality is beyond AK being completely wrong. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's not Fair. forget a month Fair. ago, a, a month Fair. ago, Tai Tuivasa was number 14. I mean, he was number 14 in our rankings because his resume just wasn't there. Now he got a great fight. And again, probably the best possible matchup to get into that top five. He jumped a huge list of guys. I mean, he didn't have to go through, you know, even a marching Tibura. I'm not saying he wouldn't beat marching marching Tibura, but that's a you know, top 10 guy. That would be like a good test to get in that top 10. He didn't have to go through an Alexander Volkov. He didn't have to go through Jarzinho Rosenstrike, which I'm not saying Jarzinho is the best guy in the world, but he's still a good test. Chris Dawkins is a good test. Of course, Curtis Blades, we've all said, you know, a thousand times by now, that's probably the worst possible matchup for Ty in this division. But he got a huge jump because he had a huge opportunity. He made the most of it. Good for him. You know, great job. Ty's an incredibly likable guy. But he got that huge jump because he got that opportunity. When you look at Derek Lewis's uh, resume, I mean, he's fought. You know, he beat Tybura. He beat, you know, Chris Dawkins. He beat, you know, he beat Francis Ngannou. He's got, you know, those huge signature wins that he deserved to be in that top five. Ty has won. He has one really, really quality win, and that's over Derek Lewis. So it's fact because there's there's not enough there's not not enough tape out there to say, man, this guy is going to continue to rise and get better. We've seen him do what he's always done, which is knock people out on the feet. Have we seen him suddenly have a great ground game? Have we seen him really have to use his cardio? Have we seen him? you know, get tested with, you know, different things coming at him where a guy doesn't just stand out there and trade shots with him. Um, no. So, yeah, I mean, again, he's a good guy. I like Ty very much. When I say he's not a top five guy, it's not a knock on him. It's just the resume is not there. So I think the ceiling has been reached because when you look at the guys in front of him, I wouldn't favor him to beat any of them. Yes, you always have a puncher's chance. It's heavyweight. We all understand that. But, yeah, I think he's hitting the glass ceiling right now, and I just don't see him breaking through. Yeah, I have to agree with both of you fellas. I mean, it's he kind of just got the perfect set of circumstances to land where he's at, right? And that and that it, the the Derek Lewis fight was kind of the best possible matchup for Ty in that top five and that top ten even. And it's just you look at the three ahead of him. The idea of Ty Tuivasa beating Cyril Gan, Francis Ngannou, or Stipe Miocic just feels kind of ludicrous. And maybe maybe that's incorrect. Maybe this is a guy who's still very young and he's obviously still growing and he's getting better. He's getting more confident. He's learning more about how to treat his body, things like that. Uh, but I, I just can't. I mean, you're going to pick him against Cyril Gaon? You're going to pick him against Francis? Like, I just, I, it does feel like we've reached a ceiling. And, and from this point on, it's only just incredibly tough matchups and it just feels like maybe he's not at that point and maybe he won't get to that point. I want to be wrong, though. I, I, I'm i also saying that this is fact, but I want this to be fiction. I want to be on AK's side here and be the optimistic one. Uh, but we'll see. Now, next up, number five, Johnny Walker, man who is unranked as of this moment, loser of four of his last five, uh, just got brutally knocked out by Jamal Hill this past uh, a few weeks ago here in the first round. Johnny Walker will never be a top 10 lightweight or light heavyweight. I'm sorry. Fact or fiction, Mike? Never be a top 10 light heavyweight. Unfortunately, that is uh, that is going to be a fact, Mr. Alshadi. I just, 
I just don't see it happening, man. Like, like if he, he beat Jamal Hill, we can make an argument for it. And, and what Jamal Hill has done lately is super impressive. This guy is getting opportunities, making the most of them, and he's doing it in devastating fashion. That's how you get on the map. He's got a great story, and he's doing everything he can to, to become that story. I just don't – like, I don't even know if Jamal Hill is the top 10 light heavyweight at this point. Like, we'll see what he can do. Give him a couple more fights and, and see what he does. But how, how would Jamal Hill fare against, you know, the Anthony Smiths of the world or the Ankaliyevs of the world or even the Dominic Reyes of the world? Like, we don't know. We don't know. And I don't think Johnny Walker can beat any of those guys right now. I wouldn't favor Johnny Walker in a fight with Paul Craig right now. I wouldn't favor him against a lot of these guys, like, especially in our rankings. Ryan Bader, I don't think he beats Ryan Bader. Maybe Shoeface, maybe it's probably the best opportunity he has. But any guy right now in our top 15, I think Johnny Walker would struggle against. Maybe Shoeface would give him the best chance, but I wouldn't even pick him in like an MMA fighting pick him thing that we do. I would still pick Shoeface to win that fight. So, no, unfortunately, as much as I like Johnny Walker and respect him, I just think there's a million things going on in his mind, like which camp's the right camp, which coach is the right coach. He just doesn't have like a clear path to to a top 10 spot or even like he's not even in my rankings. I don't even know if he ever gets back to my rankings if we're being honest. Never mind a top 10. So I don't see it happening. It's just I think it's too little too late, but who knows? Maybe a change of scenery. Maybe that changes things and maybe I'm wrong. But as of right now, I just don't see a world where Johnny Walker's a top 10 205er. David, this is a man who's 29 years old. Not too long ago, we were talking about him as a potential title contender in this division. What do you think? Have you seen enough to know he's not he's not making it to the top 10 ever again? I'm going to say fiction, but not based upon skills I've seen out of Johnny Walker. I'm saying fiction based out of light heavyweight typically being a barren wasteland of uh, of talents. Uh, light heavyweight has not been the greatest in terms of the deepest division in the sport. Uh, you know, you'd struggle to name the 15 best light heavyweights in the world. Unfortunately, that division is not what it once was when, you know, guys like Chuck Liddell and, and Tito and guys like that were ruling at the top of the division and light heavyweight was kind of the marquee division in the UFC. That's just not the case anymore. And so I say fiction based solely because he might fall into the top 10 because he gets one good win, uh, you know, in a, in a fight. I don't know. I'm not, you know, again, I'm not saying he would beat, I wouldn't favor him to beat a lot of guys, but he just went to a really boring decision with Tiago Santos one fight ago and Tiago's ranked, you know, in my rankings, I'm number nine. So, you know, yeah, he got knocked out badly by Jamal Hill. Yeah. Great. Jamal Hill just got beat by Paul Craig. I mean, it's just light heavyweight. It's just a, a, not a great division until you get up to that, like top five in the world. And, uh, you know, while I do think that Johnny's got a lot of work to do, I think getting Kavanaugh didn't help him any, uh, but, you know, can I say that he wouldn't beat Nikita Krylov? I can't say that. Can, can I say he wouldn't, go in there, throw hands and maybe catch Paul Craig. You know, I can't say that. I can't say he couldn't have a chance in that fight. So yeah, I say fiction, but it's not because I think Johnny Walker is, you know, going to be a title contender or a champion It's because light heavyweight just unfortunately doesn't have super, super deep talent. And again, he wins one fight against, you know, if he, if he edged out Tiago Santos, he'd be in the top 10. If he edges out Anthony Smith, he's in the top 10. So that's why it's not because I'm a big Johnny Walker believer. I just don't have a lot of belief in the light heavyweight division. Let me, I just want to add real quick that a lot of this has, 
I, again, I, I feel like Johnny Walker does have skills. I feel like it's a mental thing. And I, I honestly feel like the UFC screwed him up in a big way. I think I throwing totally him, agree. totally agree. him in there with Corey Anderson at MSG after picking up those quick wins over guys that, you know, were certainly nowhere near Corey Anderson's level was a travesty. And that ruined him. That ruined him. Now, if they, they did more of a Bellator approach and just built him up correctly and, and kind of slow rolled him instead of putting him in such a big spot, maybe we'd be having a different conversation right now. But the physical is important, but the mental part of this game is maybe even more important. And I feel like that type of matchmaking and, and that type of quick step up was was such a detriment to his run right now. And unfortunately, I don't think we're, we're really going to be able to see the best Johnny Walker we could have seen at this point in his career. And it sucks to say that. I mean, AK, does the Johnny Walker of 2019 beat the current version? Because I actually would favor him. Just the confidence, pure confidence alone. Yeah, yeah. I, again, Mike said this is just an example of how how badly uh, poor matchmaking can derail someone. I mean, it's a real thing. I, I know I know fans don't want to, you know, don't want to baby fighters and we want to believe, oh, the crime, the, uh, the crime, the cream always rises to the top no matter who you end up fighting. But it's just in the fight game. It's just not true. There's a reason, you know, professional boxers like, you know, boxing, which has such a, a more uh, uh, recorded history than, than MMA does right now. Some guys fight friggin' what, 100 amateur fights before they before they turn pro or, or they or they fight. They go 25 and 0 before they sniff like a title shot. You know what I mean? There's a reason that boxing does that. Like these, it does matter. It does matter developing confidence, developing reps. And you've got to give people an MMA good reps. MMA, unfortunately, is, is uh, has a completely different infrastructure. So we're never going to see a system develop like that. And once you get to the UFC, <laughs> forget about it. They don't care about giving you reps. You know, they just they're just trying to fill up cards. You know, they're trying to fill up cards. And any buzz they hear, uh, it's great for you. It's great for your fame. Might be good for your contract negotiations. But uh, they're not going to try and protect you once that buzz gets going. Because let's not forget, there was a time when Johnny Walker was like calling out John Jones and it didn't sound unrealistic. Uh, we were pretty starved for John Jones challenges around that time. That's, you know, kind of what motivated that. But but yeah, but people were like, oh, yeah, he's long. He's athletic. He's a great striker. Oh, you know, he's, he's, he's unpredictable. He's exactly the kind of guy I need to fight John Jones. So there was a real real prospect there and it is a shame that we don't we remove that label even though he's he's only <laughs> he's only 29 years old but um again this is sort of a case like the proof is in the pudding you know i know i said with tai tuvasa anything can happen and it's certainly true with johnny walker but tai tuvasa you gotta see i mean his run is actually pretty decent the one he's on stuff like stefan struve yeah near the end of his career but a veteran heavyweight that's a good win augusto sakai was in our rankings i think when uh tai tuvasa beat him so there's something substantial there and he gets Derek lewis win johnny walker every time he's faced rank, rank competition uh, has not done well. I, I believe Misha Serkinov was ranked in the UFC's rankings when they fought, so that's fine. But Corey Anderson, uh, top 10, top 5 guy, uh, uh, Corey Anderson's crushed him. Nikita Krilov was in the top 15. Uh, he lost to him. Tiago Santos, top 10, lost to him. And now Jamal Hill wasn't ranked, but now is ranked. Um, uh, so there you go. That's technically four ranked guys, and he did poorly against all of them. Uh, it's not a deep division, but we do have guys coming up. I think Dalton Jung is a future top 15 guy. Maybe top 10, I think. Uh, Gilton Almeida, I think we were all thrilled with his debut. We all see him as a future top 10 guy. I don't know where Johnny Walker uh, slides in here. So that's that's a fact that uh, he's he's not he's not getting back in there. God, what a murder it would have been had he got thrown against John Jones back then. <laughs> that would have been so bad if they had oh. somehow manufactured a way for him to get to that spot. That would have been rough to watch. They were trying to with Corey Anderson. I think they thought the Corey Anderson that was it. might have that gotten him. That was the him. one. Yeah. That was the one yeah, that was going to leave from. Yeah. Um, 
I have to say fiction here just because he is so young. Damon kind of hit the nail on the head there. That light heavyweight just historically is not the greatest division. And, you know, you have some guys like Amagomed and Kalaev and others who, who maybe are young and coming up, but there's not a lot. And at some point, a lot of these guys are going to age out and maybe Johnny Walker is able to stick around at that point and be one of those periphery top 10 guys where he's just kind of hanging around that 9, 10 spot. But yeah, it just feels like A, he needs to get away from SBG Ireland. Totally agree with you on that, Damon. And he just needs to find some confidence. And I don't know, that's going to be a hard, hard thing to do in the UFC when they really just do not believe in giving these guys these rebound fights, the bounce back fights uh, to work their way back up. So it's a tough spot he's in right now, man. I mean, that was a brutal, brutal knockout that he suffered against Jamal Hill. And that's the type of knockout that you you can't suffer more than a few of those this early in your career and, and continue on and, and have it be uh, what it should be. So it's a rough spot for Johnny. But I, I, I do have faith maybe that he'll be able to turn around in the future. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. Then we're going to get to the other five on the other side. All right, y'all, we are back. Number six. Mr. Mike Heck, Jamal Hill, our new number 14 light heavyweight, debuting after, of course, the knockout over Johnny Walker, who we just talked about. Jamal Hill will fight for a title by the end of 2023. Fact or fiction? Uh, fiction. I, I just, I, I don't know. This, this would have been another incomplete. I need to see more before I can actually make that statement. But again, I just... I just don't see it. I, it's too early to say he nice, nice win over Johnny Walker. That that was great. But how will he do? Like I said before, how is he going to do against the Anthony Smiths and the Santoses and the Dominic Reyes the guys who fought for titles? How would he do against, you know, Yuri Prohashka? Cause you know, if Yuri doesn't beat Glover and I don't think he will. And I've said this many times, he's going to have to fight Yuri Prohashka before he gets to a title shot. And I don't know if there's a world, I mean, Maybe he lands a lucky shot, but that would be a massive upset, be a gigantic upset. So I'm going to say fiction on that one, but you never know. It, it would be, I just don't see it happening. Fiction for me. Damon? Yeah, I, I agree with Mike. You know, it's it's fiction for now because we just don't, again, I keep saying resume and I hate to keep saying resume, but uh, it's just resume right now. Quality win over Johnny Walker just got tapped out by Paul Craig. So I can't, I can't jump on that train just yet. Do I think he has the potential? Sure. Uh, but, you know, again, we got to see those matchups to actually, you know, completely get on board and say, man, this is the guy. What do you think, KK? I, I have to go fiction. I have to go fiction. I, I like Jamal Hill a lot. That win was huge. Um, again, uh, outside he, his one loss, Paul Craig. Paul Craig's an excellent uh, light heavyweight. So there's no shame in that. Um and maybe just a bad matchup for him. So I'm not saying like, oh, I, I'd favor him in a rematch with Paul Craig. Uh, but yeah, I, I just think uh, with light heavyweight, I know we say it's thin. I know it's true, but it does feel like there is sort of a a pretty clear uh, tier ahead of him. Um, I don't know if people want to already move Jamal Hill to tier. I mean, I would have him in tier three. I think tier two is where the like the Anthony Smiths and the Tiago Santoses and the Dominic Reyes lie. And then tier one is where I would put like uh, Rakic, uh, Blakovic, Pohachka to share. Maybe I'm wrong on this. Maybe you can you can sort of blur those a bit. But that's how far Jamal Hill is away from me. And end of 2023. This is probably a question now, now that I'm thinking about of do you think he'll ever challenge for a title? Uh, so in that case, I am leaning towards no. So it's not even about end of 2023. I just don't see Jamal Hill as someone who's going to who's going to fight for the title. Can I make the case? Can I make the case? Am I allowed to make the make case? It. Do make whatever it. you want. 
Jamal Hill right now, I know we don't care about the UFC rankings, but they matter in terms of UFC matchmaking. Jamal Hill right now is number 10 in the UFC rankings. Mm. Looks like he's looking at like a matchup against like a Vulcan Ozdemir type who's like number eight-ish, seven-ish, somewhere in that range. Those fights feel winnable for Jamal Hill and sort of what his style is, whether it's Dominic Reyes, Ozdemir, however you, Krylov, however you want to throw in there. At that point, he's just one away. I think there's a, a path, right? Like an Anthony Smith or a Tiago Santos, who is still somehow number five in this division. All it would take is one of those. And then Jamal Hill's right there. He's 30 years old. He's young. He can cut a promo. Has a very marketable style. I feel like there's a totally a case in a roadmap where he could be fighting for the title within by the end of next year. Just purely based on the way this division is set up right now and how absolutely bizarre 205 is. Glover Teixeira is going to need fresh blood after he takes out uh, Farhashka. So this is a good this is a good point. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That's a fair point. <laughs> I, I'm going fact. I just see it. I see that there's a path and, and it's not, it doesn't seem that far fetched for me. Uh, number seven, Shavkat Romanov. Who got some love this month from several panelists in the others receiving votes category. I think, Mike, you were the earliest on this. Uh, and now people are jumping on board. Is a better prospect than Hamzat Shemaev? Fact or fiction? I'm gonna say I'm gonna say fiction. He's maybe skill-wise, that remains to be seen, but I just think the total package, I think prospects, there's obviously skill involved, but there's like the total package. Like, can you market yourself? Can you put yourself over? Can you put yourself in a position where you are must-see TV and that everyone is clamoring? They have to get to the television to watch you fight. I feel like Hamza Chemaev is like top three to five fighters in the world on that list. While Rachmanov, I think people were planting some seeds, right? We're planting seeds. We want to grow this beautiful garden of tomatoes. But right now we're just seeing like little red balls, but no, <laughs> nothing near tomato. So I think we, a it could be a delicious me- harvest. There's a beautiful be a deli- Yes. The Rachmanov tomatoes could be a delicious harvest, but I still think it's going to take a couple of years before we get there. So no fiction. Damon, this is a man 15 and 0, 3 and 0 in the UFC, all finishes purely skill-based, not even just promotional-wise. Better talent, better prospect than Hamzat? Uh, fiction. I, I like Shavkat very much. I think he's like, like a killer. And hypothetically, he's faced, you know, solid, decent competition. But no, I mean, Chemayev, Chemayev's a monster in every sense of the word. And where I go Chemayev so heavily is because I'm a wrestling guy. And Chemayev has incredibly good wrestling. That's going to be a huge weapon for him all the way going up through the top 10 I mean, of course, we get to Gilbert Burns. He's going to get the, you know, the tie to Ivasa possibility where he just kind of jumps everybody else and gets right into the title contention. But no, I like Shavkat very much. And down the road, that could be really fun to see him take on better guys in the division. But no, I mean, I'm I'm a Hamzat believer. I think the only guy that beats Hamzat right now that I would favor to beat Hamzat right now is Kamar Usman and maybe Colby Covington. Um, so yeah, I I just I, I'm I'm a Hamzat believer. What do you think, AK? Is there a case? There's a case, and I want to make it. So, I want to say facts so badly. I, I want to say facts so badly. I'm just. I'm literally looking at his resume right now, and and again, you could say that his wins over Cowboy Oliveira, Michelle Prezeres, who was twenty, who was twenty six and two, I think, or twenty six and three. Either way, had twenty six and three. Excuse me, when they had fought, and now Carlson Harris, who's a prospect. I think I shouldn't say prospect, but a UFC prospect, um, who I think very highly of, and I thought that fight would be closer than it would be. That's an amazing. Uh, three and zero start, uh, and I, I think better than the first three wins that uh, that Hamzat had. 
but the mystique of Hamza, the the I think the the impact with which he finishes with the fighting in two divisions, the the quick turnaround. We've pro- I've probably fallen in love with the narrative here, uh, but I am one of those people who is just dying to see him fight Usman uh, sooner rather than later. I, again, I, you know, I've made the case that Usman should call him out now and get that fight. And while I would favor Usman, it's pretty amazing how many people I think, <laughs> whether they're just trying to be you know outsmart the system or if there's just good betting odds whenever when that fight happens, who would lean towards Shemaev, who, who who would definitely give him a shot. I can't say the same about Shavkat right now. I don't have the same uh, urge to see him fight uh, Usman or even to fight a top five guy. I, for some reason, I'm still I still want to see him taken along slowly and maybe fight another good veteran, top twenty, top twenty five, not necessarily a ranked guy. If you got a ranked guy, I wouldn't complain. But Shemaev, we're talking again, top five. We're talking a guy could could be fighting for the title sometime this year. So uh, a, a reluctant fiction, a reluctant fiction. Man, how good are the question marks right now at 170? Between these two guys and a few others, prospects coming up, like the idea that you could have a title fight between Hamzat and, and Shavkat within the next like two years, that feels totally feasible, right? Like th- that doesn't feel without out of the realm of possibility. And how crazy would that fight be? Be sick. Kazakhstan, be Kazakhstan MMA. Yo, Kazakhstan MMA is yeah, but in that, in that case, did Kamar, did Kamar Usman retire? Because I don't think he's going to not be champion unless he just decides to hand over the title. Well, I mean, you give it two years down the road, right? What's he, 36 right now? He's got bad knees. Like, at a certain point, this ends for everybody. Like, everybody looks oh, unbeatable until they're if not. If, yep. if he retires, like I said, if he beats Leon Edwards and beats Hamzat and defends his title two more times, I 100% could see... Usman just wrapping it up, hanging up the gloves and going on to do something else. 100% could see that happening. Yeah. I mean, the end comes for everyone, regardless of whether they're, they want it to or not in this game. Uh, I, he, I will say, lose, he will lose the title in the cage. I agree. He will lose the title in the cage. It happens. It happens to everybody, except unless your name is Habib and you just get out before that time comes. Uh, but yeah, I have, I have to agree with you fellas. I say fiction, but I think there's a genuine case here where two years down the line, we look back and it's like, oh no, maybe that was actually right. Maybe that was correct. And we were looking at the wrong guy. We'll see. Uh, last three here to round this out. Number eight, Sean Strickland, Damon, our new number eight middleweight. Sean Strickland is the most marketable fight left for Israel Adesanya in the UFC. Fact or fiction? Oh, Outside man. of other divisions, we should say. Oh, boy. Uh, most marketable. Good Lord. That's a that's a weighted question right there. <laughs> yes. However you uh, want to interpret uh, that. First, Damon. Thanks however for going first. you want to interpret <laughs> this. Thanks for going first. Yeah. I, I guess I'm going to say, reluctantly, I'm going to say fact only because, uh, you know, Adesanya has already beaten everybody else that could be considered a more marketable fight. I like Jared Cannonier very much, and I think that's a really fun matchup. And I actually think Jared... We'll give him fits here and there. I still pick Adesanya to win, but Jared's not that guy. Jared's not going to promote that fight. He's not going to say crazy things to get people on board. And Sean Strickland lives in crazy. That's his That's his home base is crazy. Crazy Crazy might actually be a compliment compared to where that guy goes sometimes. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, because, again, who else is there going to be? I mean, they're not going to even Costa. You know, Costa, you know, fights at, you know, 285 pounds now. Uh, Brunson ain't getting the title shot again. Vittori's not getting a rematch. Whitaker just went two times in a row. Uh, and again, I like Cannoneer, but Cannoneer's not going to be that guy. So, yeah, I mean, just based on who's in the UFC and who's in the rankings right now, John Strickland probably is that guy. What do you think, Mike? I mean, it's hard to argue with everything Damon just said. That would be a pretty horrific fight build. Um, I'm, you know, just, j- just to be different, I will say there's probably one name that a lot of us have ranked in the top 15 that would be more marketable because it'd be such a feel good story. 
if Chris Weidman comes back and Whoa. starts running off wins, if he if he comes back and starts running off wins and gets to a title fight without Asanya, that is the most marketable fight you can make because it would just be the culmination of just this incredible comeback story. What happened in the Uriah Hall fight? If somehow he comes back and wins like three or four in a row and gets up there and somehow finds his himself in a in an opportunity and Adesanya says his name, I think that would be the most marketable fight. But that's just, I guess. That's like the angel against the devil that is Sean Strickland. So unfortunately, I'm going to go with fact, but that would it would take it would take wow. Chris Wyman to go on this incredible comeback run to to change that. I did not expect the Chris Wyman mention during this, I had this not question. I'm not going to lie. I had not, and Mike, I don't know if you I, you probably didn't catch the first half of our show. Wyman shamefully has actually dropped out of our top 15 for the first time for the first time since we started doing the rankings. He has lost his top 15 spot. So, but that would make the story I think even more. As you said, kind of even more, you know, that he, we, he's been kicked. Even the MMA media has abandoned him, you know, has abandoned him as a contender and left him for dead. So that was and you a, could throw and you could throw Darren Till in there, too. If he all he sure. needs, oh, that's yeah. the one that's the all one. he needs yeah. is to win two fights and he's fighting for the title. So, yeah, he's another name. So, you know what? I'm I've just talked myself out of it. Fiction. Darren Damn Till right. is the correct answer. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, I'm like, I'm with you. I'm, I'm fiction all the way because what I mean, Strickland is his own. I, I know we use the word marketable, and that can mean a lot of things. I mean, the controversy creates cash, right? At least people are talking about Sean Strickland. Um, but man, he is just so he, you, he the big. Eventually, he's going to reach a level where he's going to get more mainstream attention, and you do not want people scrutinizing his past comments, his social media. He's got to scrub that social media. That's going to be bad. Does he really like, though? Yeah. <laughs> We're it's not in, bad. This isn't basketball. Nobody cares. No, that's fine. That's fine. Which but is, I, it's, I, I, it's bad to say, but no one cares, right? I think people will care. I, I think it's the bad kind of controversial at some point. Uh, I know we just had Colby Covington, but I don't think Colby yeah, Covington is like this. We're about to have the ugliest a, week lead up for a pay-per-view listen, ever. He's not like an A-tier star either. He's, he's, high, he's high up there. He's high, you know so high that he can main event a, uh, that he they can feel comfortable having him and uh, Jorge Masvidal main event a pay-per-view after losing two title fights. But I still don't consider him an, an A-tier star, which, which is a very short list you know um so but I, I the other reason i'm saying fiction is i think there's another fight that's even more that's marketable another way and and he's he might set himself up for it uh this name in a couple of weeks alex Pajeda. i oh. mean i know he's not that well known yet to the hardcore MMA fan base i uh, sorry to the broader mma fan base the hardcores of course would love to see him fight again he has two wins already sent you a decision and a highlight reel knockout most people like me had only saw like when he first heard of Alex Pajeda, I, I don't follow kickboxing that closely. Only saw that knockout and thought, "Oh man, this is the, this guy's the Adesanya killer. He's got to do MMA." Um, Adesanya was actually like winning that second fight, uh, so <laughs> it's not like he has like solved the Adesanya puzzle and was like dominating him and then smoked him. It was actually kind of like this come from behind, like uh, you know, miracle knockout. So amazing in a different way. Um, but I do think there's that heat there, and I think it's easy to market because that clip is so digestible. I think if he if he if he gets a big win over Bruno Silva, not a guarantee by any stretch, by the way, because I think Bruno Silva is also a possible contender. Um, then you immediately that that is the only win for me that Alex Pajeda needs. Just you're if he, if he zooming get, him right to the title. If shot he gets a knockout, give him a title shot. Get, I, I think you can talk uh, Adesanya into wanting to get that fight back, um, and I think he probably sees it as an easier win in MMA. Though again. Probably a bit striking battle, so who knows? Uh, but yeah, and I'm then you a, just play that. You play that clip over and over and over again. You see, that's a sellable fight. I'm a I'm an Alex Pereira fan. I actually really like that good pull, AK. But I will mm. say, it always worries me when you get those outside wins. Like we all thought, Joe Duffy. Remember Joe Duffy? Whenever he came in, everyone's like, "Oh my God, he beat McGregor. He beat Connor. <laughs> Holy crap!" 
And, you know, and then, you know, Darren Till, I like Darren Till. He's one and four in his last five. I think he's closer to Johnny Walker than he is title shot contention. Just throwing that out there. Who's the guy who beat uh, Kimbo, the cop, Sean Gannon? Was Sean, Sean Gannon? Gannon, rest in Sean peace. And UFC signed him strictly because he beat Kimbo in a, yeah, in a street fight. And then fight. he got and beat then. by Brendan, Brendan Lee Hankel, baby. The nice. Hammer House original, Brendan so Lee Hankel, Columbus, yeah. Ohio. Yeah, those outside wins don't always uh, don't always translate. Yeah, I have to say fiction as well. I mean, you guys named two of them. Pereira and Till, to me, would be the two that would be bigger fights for Izzy outside of Sean Strickland, because obviously Sean Strickland will talk. It'll be a different type of promotion, but he'll talk nonetheless. Uh, but right now, man, the cupboard's looking a little bare for Izzy in terms of big fights. Like He really is not going to have like a big, marketable type of foil for himself uh, unless he moves up. Or unless someone comes up that we're just not thinking about at this point. All right. Last two here, fellas. We're going to zoom through these. Uh, this next one is the Jed Mishu special. Uh, Mike, Andre Alaski, Unranked, but forever ranked in our hearts. Greatest heavyweight in UFC history. Fact or fiction? I love Jed. He is, uh, I mean, he's become so synonymous with BTL and I enjoy him just being that other view and being missing no gray area. But this is just a horrific take by Jed Mishu. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's just so bad. Like, and, 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 and let me just say this for people who gave Jed crap and, and I'm, and, and I'm not even trying to give Jed crap here. Jed's just stating a case. He's stating a case. He's basically doing what we're trying to do. Like, even if we don't believe it and we want to just be different, we're trying to state the case as to why this could be true. So I think deep down, Jed probably doesn't even believe that. I actually listened to him live, try to work this out in his own brain while we were doing Twitter spaces when he was fighting Jared Vandera. And somehow it just landed that, oh, maybe Andre Olofsky is the best heavyweight of all time. It's just not true. Um, I don't think I need to say any more. I think his... That what he is doing now, the fact that he is still picking up wins in the year of our Lord 2022 is just absolutely ridiculous. But let come on now. Like, what's he going to do like against <laughs> anybody in the top 15 in heavyweight? What, what is this guy going to do if he's fighting? I don't know. Anybody. Anybody in the top 15. It's just not going to be Vasa? good. Win I picked Tyson to win. I picked Tyson to win that fight. <laughs> I'm just uh, saying. I'm just saying he's beating the guy in the top, technically in the top five right now. <laughs> Right. But I think if they fought again, Ty wins. But, sure. you know, at the end of the day, yeah, Phil DeFreeze would probably whoop on him. Like, oh, I, I think Andre Arlovsky is, is, is great. Mm. What, a, what a story. But no, just absolutely not true. Yeah, this is utter fiction. This is complete fiction. I mean, <laughs> David, what do you think? It's utter fiction. I mean, I like Andre very much. And in terms of in terms of longevity, man, that guy's got a career. I mean, he's 40 some odd years old, still fighting the UFC, still getting wins. Good for him. I remember, you know, I was at his fight with Travis Brown uh, when he came back, and everyone thought his chin was shot and he was done. He came back and you know got you know relatively close, and you know he got knocked out by Stipe, but he got you know relatively close to title contention uh, at one point. So you know, longevity, man, great. This guy's put together an incredible career. But even his championship run, you know, had a little bit of an asterisk next to it because he never got to beat Frank Mir at the time because Frank Mir went through that motorcycle accident. We never got to see them fight kind of in the prime of their careers. Uh, you know, early in his career, his biggest win was over Tim Sylvia. And I liked Tim very much, but that was at a point when the UFC's heavyweight division just wasn't good. I mean, it was just a really, really bad division. The best heavyweights were fighting in pride at that time. So um, career longevity, legend, Hall of Famer, 100% best heavyweight. You're out of your mind. Andre Olaski, 43 years old. He's on what, like year 24 at this point, year 23. Somehow this five and one stretch that he's on right now is the best <laughs> UFC stretch <laughs> He has had since 2005. 
or 2008. I'm no 2005. Yeah, 2005. That is the best stretch he has had right now since 2005 yeah, but, in the UFC. Yeah, I'll, I'll quickly just jump on the fiction problem to say if you want to say he's had the best UFC heavyweight career, I, I mean, go ahead. Sure, sure. Lo- longevity matters. A lot of quality wins. He was a former UFC champion. We all. It's always crazy that even now, anytime we write like an article about him, like a, a matchup uh, announcement, we 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 almost always refer to him as former UFC heavyweight champion, even though it was like a lifetime ago, and the UFC was very different. But it doesn't go away. So. Um, yeah, if you want to say he had the be- he's had the best career in- in- inside the octagon, yeah, I-, I-, I think that's fair. But I mean, just stack him up in his prime against other UFC champions. I know he's fought some of these guys. I know he's beaten some of these guys. But at their primes, again, him, he he wouldn't be favored right now against, you know, Stipe, Cormier, Nganu, Khan, uh, even Verdum. I know he beat him a long, long time ago. I think their peaks, I think Verdum would be favored. Uh, JDS, just Brock Lesnar, I think would be favored. I'm not saying he had a better career than Orlovsky, but so just, just looking at it from that perspective, yeah, you, you can't do it. All right. Well, then last one here and let's end on a high note, end with the legend himself, Jim Miller. The ageless wonder. We're talking about ageless wonders with Andre Olowski. Jim Miller's doing it at a lighter division at 155, and he's still out here winning fights at age 38. He wants to make it to UFC 300. So that is the question. Jim Miller will make it to UFC 300. Fact or fiction, the way this plays out now with the schedule, we're looking at probably UFC 281 at the end of December. And so you're looking probably like 2000, you projected forward, probably like 2024 range to get to 300. Mike, fact or fiction, Jim Miller makes it. Sean, I'm glad you started with me because there's fact, there's fiction, and then there's the incomplete one. I'm going with something we haven't said before. I'm going fact, fact. That means fact twice. Oh, I It is like going it. to happen. He is absolutely making it to 300. And I mean, I don't have to say anything else about that. The guy is so smart and picking his fights at this point. The UFC understands this role. They're going to do whatever they can to get him there. So basically, Jim Miller's the next bunch of fights to get Jim Miller there or he's going to fight a bunch of debutants, a bunch of contender series or ultimate fighter alums, or he's going to fight a legend like a Joe Lozon or a Cowboy Cerrone. There's no like he's not getting in there with the with the Rafael Fazeves of the world. I'm going to put him in there with the Matush Gamrots of the world or the Armand Sarukians of the world. No, he's going to put in he's going to fight guys who are like 0 and 1 in the UFC or making their debuts or he's going to fight a guy who has like 35 UFC fights that is are on the last legs of their career. So this is a fact. No, I'm sorry. This is fact fact. Jim Miller will be at UFC 300 competing and will probably get a victory, Sean. Strong. I like it. Fact fact. What do you think, Damon? Uh, if there's a way I could go beyond that and say fact, 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 I would say it because <laughs> you're, you're gonna you're gonna question, and I won't curse here, but you're gonna question Jim Effing Miller. No, you're not. Jim Miller will make it to UFC UFC 300, and I will pick him to win at UFC 300. I don't care who he's fighting. Jim Miller is a legend. He will get there. Uh, we just talked about longevity with Andre Arlovsky. Jim Miller's in that same kind of category. Uh, again, there's a reason why Joe Silva. Uh, once said uh, when he asked him to take a fight and he just said, of course, I'll take it. And and, jo- and Joe Silva famously t- uh, emailed him back and said, of course you will. You're Jim effing Miller. He is Jim effing Miller. He will be there at UFC 300. Hey, Ken. John, I think you should change this question to UFC 400. <laughs> <laughs> Jim Miller is going to be doing this till 2050, man. I think like, I guess we're talking, you said, I think it's closer, like more like summer 2025, I think, if we're going conservative one pay-per-view a month estimate here. Um, he'll be close to 42 years old. Uh, it could happen. Oh, it'd be amazing if it happened that he's born in August. So it'd be amazing if it happened uh, the same month as his uh, 42nd birthday. That would be absolutely incredible. Um, it'll probably be around that time. The sport's so unpredictable. 
Um, he's been very lucky to not have any like serious, serious injuries that have knocked him out for a long time. I think he's fought at least twice a year for the last like decade or something, if not more. He's knocked in and he's, you know, three times, four times. He just keeps this insane schedule. It, the I, I know we're so confident, but the odds are against him. However, guys, I am the prince of positivity and it would be I would lose my title forever. If I went fiction on this question, um, if, if anyone deserves positive vibes and positive uh, projections that he is going to make into that magical 300 after doing 100, after doing 200, uh, it is Jim Miller. He has earned this. He has earned uh, the media pushing him to that uh, <laughs> and uh, hopefully convincing him never to retire until he hits that magic 300. And by then fight number 60 something probably <laughs> uh 60 something ufc appearance probably be close it'd be close to 50 i mean depending on what his schedule is probably be close to 50 around that time uh gosh imagine ufc ufc 300 ufc walkout number 50 for jim miller just imagine that i love it i'm, I'm imagining it right now and i absolutely love the imagination of it i mean he's at 51 fights right now he's at 39 ufc fights mm-hmm. so you gotta imagine he'll probably be at like what 58 Total fights by then, maybe 57, depending on if how, the breaks he's taken. Mm. Yeah, this is total fact. I mean, there's no way you could say anything but fact. Jim Miller is going to be doing this and, and knocking out these up and comers and submitting them and finishing them in all sorts of various fashions until he's like 75 years old. Like, I, I, I truly believe Jim Miller could do this until he just doesn't want to do it anymore. And this is a guy who had who fought Lyme disease and is, I guess is still fighting Lyme disease. Like, you don't get over Lyme disease. And it's just he's incredible. Jim Miller's Hall of Famer. First ballot Hall of Famer. Yeah, everybody? Oh, God, yeah. If there's such a thing in the UFC, yes. (laughs) If there was a true MMA Hall of Fame, it's not even a question. Uh, So, hey, thank you, gentlemen, for joining us. We very much appreciate it, as always. Uh, This has been this month's episode of the MMA Fighting Ranking Show. For Mike, for Damon, and AK, thank you so much for joining us, as always. My name is Sean Alshadi. Keep it locked to MMA Fighting as we give you coverage from UFC 272 all week. Uh, Jose's out there in Las Vegas. It's going to be a fun week. It's going to be a weird week, probably. Uh, <laughs> might get a little dirty. Might get a little messy, but we'll see. But anyway, thank you once again. We love you guys. We appreciate you. Uh, keep it locked in. Fighting, and we'll catch you next month. the NBA Finals around the corner, you can bet with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get a no-sweat bet up to $1,500 if your first bet doesn't hit. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. One no-sweat bet per new customer. Issued as one bonus bet based on amount of initial losing bet. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility, wagering, and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. First thing in the morning, as soon as you wake up, the to-do list starts. 
Does the car need gas? Hopefully those leftovers are still good. Why did I get CC'd Call on mom? Mom? No. You can't escape the to-do list, but you can make the most of your me time with a relaxing shower using Method Hair Care products. Try Pure Peace Volumizing, Simply Nourish Moisturizing, or Daily Zen Shampoo and Conditioner for daily use. All formulated with long-lasting fragrances and are safe for color-treated hair. Reconnect with the best version of yourself. Visit methodproducts.com to unleash your inner shower.